Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 44. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today is Wednesday, July 8th. We are over halfway done with 2020, and for some of you, that's a sigh of relief. And some of you are thinking maybe we can have a Tua Tungavaloa-esque comeback the second half of this year. But nonetheless, the Galloway Podcast is back up and rolling with episode 44 today. We've got special guest Martin Newton, Director of Athletics at Samford University, joining the podcast to tell us a little bit more about what Samford is doing and what other schools can expect from what's going on in the world right now and what to look for in the fall. So we'll get his perspective on that. Obviously, we'll start with what's new. We'll talk to Martin. And then afterwards, we will go around Alabama athletics as we always do here on the Galloway podcast. I want to remind everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. The Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out on those three platforms. Share with your friends if you enjoy the podcast. And it's episode 44. So let's get rolling with what's new. Well, we actually have some news now, which is exciting. Sports have been at a halt for the longest time, but MLB and NBA players are reporting and are in the process of reporting back to their respective facilities, whether it be MLB players in their stadiums, NBA players in Orlando. Both seasons will be underway by the end of this month, so fear not, sports fans. We've got just a little bit left to wait, and then we will have full-on MLB and NBA action coming up by the end of this month. As I mentioned earlier, we'll have uh, we have lots of questions looming around the world of college football. Will there be a season? Will there not? And in all likelihood, folks, I don't know, and you don't know, and you probably don't know unless you're today's guest, Martin Newton. So in a couple minutes, we'll get to him, and he'll have a little bit more perspective on what's going on. Because let's be real, I don't call the shots. In all likelihood, if you're listening to this, you probably don't call the shots. You're probably not someone in a position of making the NCAA's decision and so it you can guess hypotheticals all day but in reality we don't have the final say all we can do is protect our neighbor wear our mask and um, just be who we are in our positions and wait it out and hope for the best because you I want to see football just as much as the next person so the only thing that we can do right now instead of predict if the season's going to happen is to take our safety precautions and wear our mask, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'll say this. Um, I think college football season might happen, and, and we're leaning towards yes, because because here's why. UA Chancellor Finus St. John said this yesterday to President Trump. And will Alabama be playing some great football? What's going on with Alabama? Uh, Mr. President, that's not the first time we've heard that question, I can promise you. Uh, <laughs> We are planning to play the season at the University of Alabama. I understand that that creates great difficulties and complexities, and we are hoping for that. Uh, It's important to a lot of people, but we're doing our best on that one, too. It's true. And say hello to the coach. Great coach. Yes, sir. Thank Thank you. you. That's a very optimistic statement, and of course, the University of Alabama, uh, as fine as St. John said, is planning on it. And so if you're planning on it, that means it hasn't gotten canceled, and so for, for right now, that's only good news. And we can't sit here and talk hypotheticals for the rest of time because we'll just be going down a rabbit hole. Elsewhere in what's new in the world of sports, 
Mississippi State canceled tailgates. Um, that kind of ties in as part of the college football, what's going to happen, what's not. They canceled tailgates on July 1st. Now, I think that's way too early of a decision, and I think we all need to pump the brakes and just take a deep breath. We still have over 50 days until the start of the season, so let's not go ahead and jump to conclusion. I think Mississippi State jumped the gun too early and canceling tailgates. In all likelihood, that'll probably happen for other schools. I think July 1st is too early to make that call, but that's just me. Also in the world of sports, we jump to the professional ranks. Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year contract extension through the 2031 season. 2031, 10 years. One of the most lucrative sports deals in the history of sports. Uh, just just crazy for Patrick Mahomes, crazy money. Um, but it's even crazier to think that he'll still be on the Chiefs while Tua Tungavaloa and Bryce Young have max contracts somewhere in the NFL, maybe with a Super Bowl ring or two. We'll have to see. Hey, who knows? 2031, that's way down the road. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight, so I'm not going to plan 10 years down the road. Also in the world of sports, Last week, we keep it in the professional ranks here. Last week, it was announced that Cam Newton is headed to New England to suit up under center for the Patriots and replace Tom Brady. Let's hope Cam and Bill Belichick can begin meeting in person as soon as possible, because if it's virtual or over email, Bill Belichick might have to revoke Cam's contract once he reads Cam's typography. If you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever seen the way Cam Newton types, it'll give you a headache and make you never want to look at your phone again. Also, lastly, in what's new in the world of sports, if you want to call Major League eating a sport, go ahead. I'm not picking one side or the other, but Joey Chestnut remains the king of the 4th of July Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. That was, I want to say impressive, a little bit gross, but a 4th of July tradition nonetheless. Nothing like waking up mid-4th of July morning, going downstairs, getting your breakfast, and right before you get your lunch, you turn on the TV and Joey Chestnut is shoving 74 hot dogs down his mouth. That is 4th of July to a T. Now, I watched it. I had to eat lunch before just because it was so gross, but that is news in the world of sports, if you want to call it that. But that's really all we have here on the Galloway Podcast for what's new. We're now going to bring in Martin Newton, Director of Athletics at Sanford University. Joining the Galloway Podcast now is Martin Newton, Director of Athletics at Sanford University. Welcome into the podcast. How are you? Man, I am doing fantastic, Raymond. I appreciate you having me. I've, uh, I've heard a lot about your podcast. You've had some really impressive people. Still trying to figure out why you want me on it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up and visiting with you today. Well, thank you for the time, and you've got some great insight as an athletic director and someone who actually makes the calls and has influence on plenty of decisions to be made um, regarding fall sports and things like that, obviously at Sanford University, but even beyond into SOCON um, and and things like that. So I want to get started by asking you, when you look at the fall semester, what is number one on your to-do list and what is your top priority right now? Well, what we've tried to do is create a plan on on bringing our student athletes back and what that plan looks like is it is before they get here so before they arrive on campus what we need them to do uh to be educated on covid to be able to uh, social distance possibly to be tested before they get back on campus so really a pre 
uh, a pre-travel plan. And then we've also talked about the travel. How are you going to travel? How are you going to get here? How are we going to deal with our international students? Um, are they going to have to quarantine for 14 days? And then once we get here, what kind of testing and what kind of daily symptom checks and, and different things can we do to make sure that our student athletes, one, are protected? Uh, that's the most important thing. But two, um, those that and the national averages tell you that somebody's going to somebody's going to get COVID when they get here and, and how we deal with that student athlete uh, when they get here to protect other student athletes. And so there's a lot of planning going into place right now. The problem, William, is quite frankly, uh, things are changing on such a rapid uh, pace that, that you can do all the, the great planning in the world, but you better plan for several different scenarios because, again, uh, if you'd asked me three weeks ago, I said fall, foot, fall sports, football is going to be up and running, man, things are going to be great. Here we are three weeks later, and now I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on whether or not we're even going to be able to have fall sports. So uh, you're just learning to be flexible. We use the word flexible and nimble a lot, and that's, that's kind of the key on, on trying to plan uh, for the return of our student-athletes. That's good to hear. And there's obviously a lot of uncertainty, and there has been through all of these past couple months and everything. And we don't even know what the numbers are going to look like in terms of will they rise, uh, what's going to happen after with the effects of Fourth of July. Um, but one thing that I've kind of stuck to, and I'm sure you've stuck to as well, is that nothing has been canceled yet. And so that in and of itself is a good thing. It's a positive thing and something for fans and student athletes and administrators um, in athletics to look forward to because if there hasn't been a word yet, then everything's still on his plan. And I think that's a really important perspective to keep. I, well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it, it, especially uh, as we deal with mental health issues with our student athletes, because if, if you think about it, dating back to, to March 17th, 18th, right around in that time frame, our student athletes haven't been able to participate in any organized sport at all. And I don't care whether you're a student athlete or whether you're a, a student that's, that's interested in, in Greek life, whatever it may be, and you can't, you get something that you love taken away from you. There's, there's mental health issues that, that are, you have to deal with there. And then you take on top of that, that just what's going on in our world right now and, and, and all of the, uh, the social justice and, and, and racial injustice and all the different things that are going on. I really worry about our student athlete health. And so I'm, I too am glad that we're moving forward as if we're going to be back to school. And to me, that's the number one thing is that we are back to school, that our students, not just our student athletes, but that our students are back on this campus uh, in face, in person learning. Uh, and then all the things that go along with that, uh, the interactions, the social interactions, the football seasons, the volleyball seasons, all those things uh, get back to normal. And right now uh, we're planning as if they are. So that's, that's a, and again, trying to, trying to have the mindset that I'm going to be a glasses half full person rather than glasses half empty. Right. And, and in a sense for all people across a university spectrum, students need the, op the opportunity to be students. Teachers and professors need the opportunity to teach. Athletic administrators and coaches need to do their job. And it goes the same for the business world. And um, everybody just needs to do what they're called to do. And they need to, to use their jobs and skills and apply themselves you know we weren't made to sit around and, and sit at home and so I think that's important that uh, you see that not only are your you want your athletes back but everyone in the school as well Martin I want to ask you uh, that obviously everyone talks about the impact and the financial aspect of everything but 
what would it look like specifically for Samford and other teams in the SOCON and even around the NCAA if there were no football season? You know, at, at our level, William, and it's totally different than the Power Five, the SEC, the ACC. You know, it's, it's completely different because there's not the television revenue, uh, the multimedia rights deals are not as significant. So uh, the, the, the number of fans in the seats, we're not going to have 100,000. So season ticket holders and that type of stuff. But at our level, uh, the financial impact of not having a football season is not as great. Um, and, and here's my concern with, with having a football season, but let's say you're at 25% stadium capacity. Well then how do you, how do you have homecoming? How do you have family weekends? How do you have preview days? All those things that are so important at our level. It, yes, we'll lose some season ticket revenue that we can recover from. That, again, there's not multimedia rights, television deals that we're going to lose a lot of revenue from. But it's those interactions, those personal interactions uh, of bringing alums back for homecoming, bringing families in for family weekends. It's all those things that you can't do that make a major impact and, and make football so important at our level. Um, and so, and, and then again, I go back to just the student athlete. Uh, you know, our student athletes are division one athletes and they are here to compete for championships. They're here to compete, uh, in the sport that they loved. And so I go back to what, what does that do to their well being, and how is that affecting them? So th- those are all the things that you're thinking about through this period. And if I'm sitting in the power five right now, I'm going, you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to have football season. And if it's only conference football season, that, that's so be it, but we've got to figure out a way to have it because they're tied to the television rights. Um, whereas again, it's just a different story for us at our university and at our level. Um, we could we could survive not having a football season um, in the fall, um, but we couldn't survive not having the basketball tournament in the NCAA basketball tournament because of the revenue that's associated with it. Right, and and things that are not only directly tied into Sanford, but things you get shared from the SoCon and the NCAA you mentioned there as well. You mentioned basketball. I want to want to flip the page here and ask you about the hiring of Bucky McMillan. Obviously, early April that announcement came out, and um, a great hire for Sanford. Me, personally, I was very excited and the great connection I have with him. You've known him, of course, for years uh, through your involvement with the Birmingham Tip-Off Club, uh, as well as following just Mountain Brook basketball and their, and their rise to prominence in this state over the past decade. But I want to ask you, what was that process like uh, in your position to try and hire a head coach during a pandemic? It was very difficult. There's no, uh, you know, there's no playbook for that. And so it's not like you can go back and call people and say, hey, how did you handle this? Uh, because nobody's been through it before. And so and we were actually one of the first that kind of started making a coaching change and, and looking to, to hire. And and so having familiar, familiarity with Bucky, as you mentioned, um, was very important because I, I knew Bucky as a person. I knew what type of character he has. I knew what type of coach he, he is. I've watched him and his teams at Mountain Brook and the success they've had there. Um, I, I, I didn't, but, but you know, you never really know somebody until you really get into that process and start developing that relationship. And I will tell you that what I thought I knew about Bucky, um, was not near what I think about him now. He is a phenomenal person and, and it's going to be such a good fit at Sanford. I learned things about Bucky through that process because we couldn't do them in person. So you had to, you, you had to really 
connect via the phone and have brutal, you know, talk about having really honest conversations. And, uh, but what I learned about Bucky just, just made me that much more impressed with him outside of the basketball realm. There's no doubt Bucky can coach. I mean, just look at his success on the high school level. Now, part of the, the, the trepidation was trying to figure out can a high school coach who's never had college experience, can that translate to the division one level? And again, after talking to him and hearing his philosophies and hearing how his mind works, uh, I am absolutely convinced that it can. And, and it just, uh, every time I talk to him and even now, even when we, when we've had opportunities to get together and meet, and it, it just, I'm, I'm more uh, excited about him being our basketball coach. Cause I think he's just got that it factor. And again, sometimes you just don't know what it is. But he just has that it factor, and I think he's going to do tremendous things at Sanford. Absolutely, and I, th- I think he's one of the brightest and sharpest basketball minds that I've ever encountered. I remember as a kid going to buckyball camps, you know, when I was in elementary school, and the one thing he's teaching kids as low as second grade is if you have a 35% chance to make a 17-foot shot, you have a 33% chance to make a 21-foot shot, and the 21-foot shot's worth three points, and the 17-foot shot's worth two points, you ought to shoot the three-point shot. And then stuff like that, you know, that he's teaching second graders. Um, and, and, and his basketball mind it was just fascinating, and, and it drew me to his program, and it drew me to love the game of basketball. Um, but talk about the impact that he could have on the university with his um, – not only experience from Mountain Brook, but being from the city uh, and what Sanford basketball can do for Birmingham. Well, Bucky's a he's a builder, and, and he he builds relationships. He builds trust. He builds community, and so I think what Bucky will be able to do. Um, you know, we, I, I never even thought about that. We talked about Bucky Ball. Maybe it needs to be Bucky the Builder. But Buc- Bucky is, uh, I think what he'll be able to do is he'll be able to come in here and build a sense of community and build excitement with our fans and our students and our alumni. Um, and then the same thing in the community. He is so well thought of in the community, has so many deep relationships, authentic relationships in the community that I just think uh, because of his his mindset and how he builds things, I just think people are going to are attracted to that, and they're going to uh, to want to be around uh, what's going to happen at Sanford basketball. And I think this the success, the winning will come. Uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, when you build things, it's like building a house. You know, you have to start with that foundation, and and you slowly get there, and hopefully. You know, a year later, you've got this unbelievable house that's built on solid, solid foundation. And I think that's what Bucky's going to have to do here is just build it the right way. And again, uh, in the conversations I've had with him, I am more more convinced that, that he knows how he wants to build it. And it'll be built on a very solid foundation. I love the builder analogy because in high school, you're dealt a hand of cards, so to speak. And you take the, the players and the, and the guys from your community and you assemble a high school team um, – it's not like AAU or, or college where you can go out and you can pick your guys and, and compete with the people that you want. And you, he now has the liberty to do that in college. And so I think the staff that he's bringing on and um, some, some great recruiters, uh, people that he's building and forming relationships with, once he's able to assemble his team, and he's already done that. I spoke to him yesterday, and he said he's extremely pr- pleased in the progress despite everything that's been going on. And so his opportunity to implement his system built with guys that he wants to come play in the program, I think I think something really special could be built at Sanford. And I want to ask you about – 
Sanford and the SoCon, um, there, there's potential for a lot of excellence in the Pete Hanna Center with that men's basketball program. We know there's excellence with the women's basketball program, recently capturing the conference title. But talk about excellence in the SoCon in general, uh, because teams all across the SoCon can compete at a very high level. We've seen um, all across all sports, SoCon teams beating Power 5 schools and various sports and um, just harp on the excellence that the SoCon is athletically, academically, and what it provides its athletes. Yeah, the SoCon is a unique league because it's very diverse. You've got a mixture of private schools, military schools, and public universities, and so it's a very, it's a very diverse league. Um, and and people, if you just go by RPI rankings and net rankings, the SoCon was the 13th ranked league in the country the last couple of years. And so when, when you you know, for example, in this area, we think of Conference USA. Well, we were ranked above Conference USA. Uh, so the basketball in the Southern Conference is very competitive. There are some really good teams. Uh, Wofford has has uh, done very well. In fact, I thought they they gave Kentucky all they wanted in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, but they've been very consistent. ETSU uh, has been a very good program. Furman, uh, another private school, has been good. Mercer years ago went in and beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. So there's really good basketball uh, within the Southern Conference, and there's no reason. And the one thing we all have in common is we have good facilities um, and, and we have a commitment. There's a commitment from an administration. You know, my dad used to say to him all the time that, that coaches win games and administrations win championships, and I never really understood what that meant until I became until I got into administration. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about from the president down. It, it really takes an administration, uh, a president, a board of trustees, a, a, a executive vice president level uh, faculty that, that they are committed to not just support basketball, but they're committed to winning in basketball. That's what it takes to have a, a, a championship basketball program. And so I think. Uh, I think we're there. I think we're, we're closer to having that commitment from everyone that, okay, this is important, and, and we've got to provide what we need to provide uh, for, for this basketball program to do what it needs. And, and that's what the Southern Conference has done. That's what teams in the Southern Conference have done. They're committed, and it's showing. Uh, I, I thought we, if the tournament had taken place last year, I thought we could have been a multi-bid league. Uh, the year before, if Wofford, quite frankly, if they don't, win the tournament i definitely know we're a multi-bid league the year before so uh, and that's the goal is to try to get a couple teams in there and so the goal at sanford is to make sure that we're in that we put ourselves in a position to be in that top three or four so that when you come to those three days in march when you have that conference tournament that you're in a position to have a realistic chance to win Right, and I think success, there's been a lot of success on the basketball court, and maybe that's been the most prominent. I know the Citadel uh, was leading Alabama 10-0 to at halftime two years ago, and I remember sitting in Bryant-Denny Stadium sweating, thinking, what is Alabama doing losing a bye game to the Citadel at halftime? What, what, what's going on here? Um, it just shows the strength all across the board of – the SOCON and its member institutions. And I want to ask a, another question here uh, regarding regarding scheduling. So what what's the key from an athletic administrator perspective? What is the key to scheduling in terms of incorporating Power 5 teams, incorporating um, different games across all levels that are deemed winnable, that are deemed challenges? How do you coordinate with your coaches and other schools to ensure the best possible schedule for your athletes and your programs? 
Yeah, and that's a great question, and it's 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 a challenge at our level because again, there's not television. Things aren't made to tell us what we know. We have to do is we have to have guarantee games, especially in the sport of football and men's basketball, um, where there's there's revenue, serious revenue, uh, tied around those guarantee games. So we're always looking in football, you know, five, six, seven, eight years out to try to nail down those gate those guarantees with the SEC programs or the ACC programs. Uh, we play Florida State this year. I think we've got Florida on the schedule. We've got Georgia back on the schedule. So uh, we're always looking for those game guarantees. Uh, same thing in basketball. You're always trying to, to, to have a nice balance of not too many game guarantees, but enough that you can supplement your budgets. And then what you're looking for is, is really relevant regional contests. Because what you don't want to do, um, it, because we're, we're a bus league, we, we don't want to be where you're flying all over the country to play these games. Then you get back into your conference and you're worn out, and now you got to get on buses to go play Walford and Furman and Mercer and ETSU. Um, so you've got to make sure that you have really regional, relevant games. And, and then the other thing I think that you want to do is you want to provide experiences for your student-athletes. Uh, for example, our women's basketball team was going to Chicago this year. The pandemic, we're, we're going to have to put that off a year, but, but they were going to Chicago this year, and they were going to use that – uh, as an educational experience, to be able to go up. Some of these girls have never been out you know, of, of their home states, and to be able to go to Chicago, be in a big city, um, do some tours of museums, different things. We played in uh, New York a couple of years ago, and so you want to be able to provide uh, really nice experiences for your student-athletes. Uh, and, and then the other way you do that is you schedule so that uh, you're ready for, for – for the conference tournament, because at the at the end of the day, it's the conference champion and and one bid leagues. It's that conference champion that's going to the NCAA tournament. So you want to make sure that you're scheduling out of conference in such a way that you're preparing your team uh, to win that conference tournament and to be able to compete at the at the NCAA level. So it's extremely strategic, and a lot of factors go into it, and that that presents a challenge. Uh, but obviously, for someone with you uh, like you and your experience. That, that can help go a long way. I want to ask you, Martin, about uh, you've been around sports all your life, and one person that I'm sure that was influential in getting you into sports was your father, the late C.M. Newton. So I want to ask you, what parts of your dad do you try to embody, not only as an athletic director, but as a person in the way you carry yourself? Well, you, you know, the first thing is that word you said, "dad." I want to, I want to try to be a good dad. Uh, he was the best, and and he, how he role modeled as a dad. He never brought, when he was a coach or an administrator, and, and he was always a coach when I was growing up. Um, he never brought the games home. Uh, we played the games, win, lose, or draw. When he walked in that door and he came home, he took that coach hat off and he was a dad. And I think that's that's the most important thing. And if there's anything that I, I hope I can take for him, it's that I, I'm a dad first and foremost. And so, uh, and I feel that way some with our student athletes as well. Uh, it's hard, you know, we got 389 student athletes, so you don't get to know them all as well as you'd like. But, but I think that was the main thing that I learned from him. I think the second thing with him is, is that it's not about you. And the minute you start making things about you uh, or the minute that things go south, um, he was the ultimate ser- servant leader. He, he cared about his players. He cared about his coaches. Uh, he cared about his staff. Uh, and he cared about their well-being, and, and I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress at 59 years old, but I'm, I hope that someday when I can finish my career, I can look back and go, you know what, I eventually got to that place uh, where I actually put others ahead of myself. Uh, again, I got a long way to go there. But uh, And then the thing that I'm probably 
um, professionally really proud of my dad for is that, um, and it, it's so apropos during these times of, of racial injustice and, and, and what's going on in our country right now. Um, my dad didn't see color. Uh, I never once heard my father talk about, boy, I've got this good black forward from Birmingham that I got to go recruit or man, I've got this really good white shooting guard that, that we, he never, he talked about, I've got this really good player or this really good person. And he didn't treat any of his student athletes, whether they were white, black, it didn't matter. They were treated the same way. And, and that's probably the biggest thing I learned from him is that, that everybody, people matter and, and everybody matters. And that it's, it's important that whether you're the, whether you're the, the CEO of a company or you're, you know, you're, you're cutting the grass, uh, you matter and you matter to the scheme of things. And so, um, uh, again, hopefully that's uh, just looking at his legacy. That's what I'm probably most proud of him professionally. Those are really encouraging words. And I think anyone who knew or knew of your dad and knows you can can point to that and and have that be something they strive for as an individual in, in whatever their career path Maybe. All right, as, as we wrap up things, I want to do a couple quick hitters with you. Uh, I like to generally end, end with some fun questions, so I got a couple. Uh, did some research on your playing days at Sanford. Um, and so we're, we're going to start first quick hitter. What impact would Craig Beard have on Coach McMillan's program if he was a player today? Oh, he, Bucky would love Craig because he could really shoot it, and, and he would shoot it, and he would play hard. Uh, Craig would be tremendous in Bucky's system. Okay, and then um, with the addition of Craig Beard, um, and you you crossed over with Craig playing playing for a year or two. But what is your top memory from playing basketball at Sanford? Yeah, the relationships. You know, it's funny. I had uh, Darren Sissel and I were, were freshman roommates together, and we were we were both point guards, so we competed against each other. And you know, that always is tough on a relationship. And then we, you know, he went his way, got married, became an endodontist. Well, he when I moved back to Birmingham in 2011. Uh, Darren and I rekindled our relationship just like we did when we were 18 years old, and uh, and, and unfortunately he passed away several years ago from from cancer. And uh, but but just those relationships and how important those relationships are. Um, we uh, Tim Francis, who's a, who's become a dear friend, who was several years older than me, and Otis Oss, who was a, a senior point guard my freshman year. Uh, you know we've been playing golf together and laughing about different times. Andre Jackson, Craig. I mean it's just uh, you know you get back together and it's almost like you pick up where you left off and, and you just can't replace those and, and you start telling stories and of course those stories get embellished um, but I, I would say that's that's probably the, the main thing well, I did. I did some research on your playing days, and I saw your career free throw shooting percentage. I won't. I won't say the number. Um, not that it was good. Not that it was bad. But uh, we'll let we'll let the listeners look that up and and figure out for themselves. But I do want to challenge you to a free throw shooting contest. Uh, you can you can pick the place and the time and the the uh, arena, whatever you want. I'd love to challenge you to a free throw shooting contest after after seeing your numbers. You got no shot now, so so you need to understand. When I was in college, I was a point guard, I was a passer, and, and I'm still mad because I played with the two all-time leading scores of Sanford, and and I'm I, I should be in one of the top in assists at, at there because one of them couldn't dribble at all, um, and Craig Beard was the other one. But but here I you know I I led the team in assists, but I I should have been up in there because we had a young lady who kept stats, and I joked with her about this. I said, "Do you know what an assist is?" I saw her about five six years ago. Her son plays baseball, and she goes, "Wasn't well, that a pass that leads to a layup?" And I said, "No." You, I said, "You killed me." I, I had three <laughs> assists in a game, and, but now free throw wise, I will say this: 
since I've gotten out of college, I became a really good shooter. Um, and I made them when I had to. So, so anytime you're ready, man, you just, you let me know. We'll get you over to the peak. We'll have Bucky rebound for us and we'll go through a free throw shooting contest. Well, let's do it. I've, I've been doing, uh, the Galloway family men have been doing 50 free throws a day and working on our percentages in the backyard. Uh, we don't have a very, we don't have a generous rim and sometimes the conditions aren't generous. The ball may be a little too blown up. Um, but, but I've been working on my free throws. So, and I'll, I'll say this. We, there, there were many a, a Mountain Brook basketball practice where I would see Bucky shoot free throws during a water break. And I don't think I ever saw him miss a shot. And, and that's not me kissing up, but that guy was a shooter. And I, I never saw him shoot a shot that he would miss in the gym, uh, just leisurely. So I'm not, well, I, I, you're on. The challenge accepted, and, uh, and and you're on. Now, here's the thing. As long as I don't have to move, if i got to start moving, or uh, now nah, I'm in trouble. But just standing shooting free throws, I'm in good shape. Fair, fair. All right, sounds like we got ourselves a competition uh, uh, set up. Last, last quick hitter here. If you never worked in sports, what would you be doing? Wow, great question. Um, I'd want to do something with kids. Um, I'd want to do something with kids. You know, it's uh, I, my passion when I grew up, obviously, was sports, but it was also shoes. I did a commercial for Converse, and I couldn't get paid, so they gave me shoes. And I, I love shoes. So being in the, the footwear and apparel industry with Nike uh, and Converse, was, was, that, was, that fueled my passion as well. But as I've gotten older uh, and, and had grandkids, I'd want to do something with young kids and probably kids, uh, uh, inner-city kids, trying to, trying to maybe give back uh, to them. Uh, again, just messages or lessons from my dad uh, that, that I would would uh, would like to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for the time on the podcast today. Athletic Director at Sanford University, Martin Newton, really appreciate you and all your insight uh, and hope everybody has enjoyed this soundbite and interview talking about the fall, talking about hiring of Bucky McMillan, scheduling, and just learning a little bit more uh, through your eyes about what is going on in our world right now. Thank you so much. William, thank you. And I can't wait uh, about four or five years from now when you're running your own show on ESPN. You're, you're tremendous. You've got a bright future and just appreciate your passion for, for sport. And uh, you keep doing what you're doing. Let me know how I can help you, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for those kind words at the end, but also for a great and insightful interview. I think It was really good to hear from an athletic director perspective, as I mentioned earlier in the show, someone who actually makes the calls and has an influence on the decision of if we have a college football season, if there will be sports in the fall. Uh, it was it was good to hear his perspective. It's a it's a breath of fresh air, and it's it's honest. And and we know that from a person with position of power, that uh, we can be encouraged and still hopeful to have a college football season if we do things like doing our part and wearing a mask. Now, moving on here on the Galloway Podcast, we go around Alabama athletics as our third segment, as always. So let's jump right into it. Well. Crimson Tide Hoops is climbing the ladder, folks. The addition of Alex Chiku, a 6'11 forward with guard capability, vaulted Alabama as high as number nine in the recruiting ranking websites. We've seen number nine, we've seen number 12, but this is the Alabama basketball recruiting class. And I say the with a capital T, capital H, capital E. Nate Oates, Brian Hogston, Antoine Petway, and the entire staff are assembling what I think could be one of the greatest Alabama basketball teams we've seen in a long time. Maybe even my short 21 years of life. Like, this this is it. I don't want to say Alabama basketball has arrived, but 
this is the team, folks. If Alabama's to make a run in the tournament to make some noise, to win a regular season conference championship, win a, a conference tournament championship, this is the team that I think can do it. Um, the the pandemic's not doing Alabama any favors in terms of the team. How are they meshing? Whatever. They're in Tuscaloosa right now as we speak, and they've been there for a week or so, a couple of weeks, and have been able to practice. Uh, so that's encouraging. But I think this is the Alabama basketball team that can do it. Whatever you think it is, I think Alabama basketball can do it. This this is this could be the year for Alabama basketball. Very very exciting. Now. Alabama is still awaiting the announcement of John Petty. Will he stay or will he go? Well, with the addition of Alex Chiku, all current 13 scholarship spots have been filled. So if John Petty elects to come back to Tuscaloosa for his senior year, someone's going to have to go. Who's going to go? It's kind of like college football. I don't know. It's not my decision. It's not up to me. But you can make a decision. Tweet me at WM underscore Galloway. Let me know what you think. If John Petty comes back, who is going to head out of Tuscaloosa. Will John Petty even come back? Will he stay in the draft? If he doesn't get drafted, will he go play Euro Leagues? Let me know. Let me know. Uh, Also for Alabama men's basketball and around Alabama athletics, the men's basketball announced a home-and-home series with Memphis. They announced that on Tuesday of this week. The exhibition will be this season in Memphis at the FedEx Forum either on October 31st or November 1st. Alabama will host the Memphis Tigers in 2021 and then travel to Memphis in the 2022 season. So Alabama taking on Memphis in some capacity in men's basketball over the next three years. Steve Sarkeesian underwent a cardiovascular-related procedure on July 2nd in Birmingham after it was determined that something needed correcting. Now, you can check out the Alabama football Twitter page, social media pages for the full release, but all the best to Coach Sarkeesian. He is back in Tuscaloosa um, and is expected to make a full recovery, which is the most important thing. So good news that he is expected to make a full recovery. All the best to him um, after he underwent a procedure on July 2nd. Also around Alabama Athletics, pretty big news here. Alabama Athletics is going mobile with its ticketing and parking operations for the upcoming season. So what does that mean? That means you present your ticket on your smartphone, whether you're going to park or whether you're going to enter Bryant-Denny Stadium or Foster Auditorium or Coleman Coliseum, whatever it may be. Your ticket will be mobile. It'll be on your smartphone. So Alabama making that jump. Other schools have done the same. And I think this is the future of ticket operations. Maybe they'll be able to mail you a ticket stub for keepsake. But I think for personal security, for personal safety, um, this is the way we're headed with mobile ticketing. And Alabama Athletics announced that on Tuesday that they will be making that jump. And last point here on the Galloway Podcast around Alabama Athletics. Not so much around Alabama athletics as opposed to around Alabama in general, but the accusation of university students throwing pandemic parties. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. Are students getting together and playing spin the bottle saying, hey, how can we get COVID? No, absolutely not. That's stupid. I think a a city councilor's words were taken out of context by the national media. Something that the city councilor heard and then proclaimed in a meeting, which then got publicized. And then the national media looking to exploit 
college students or somebody for a reason why we may not have a college football season and put a scare into people taking those words out of context and blowing up a story. I think that's what happened. And that's how we got to the point of quote unquote pandemic parties. I don't think those that just no. I mean, and college students can be stupid and can be dumb, but I don't think people are stupid enough to throw what they want to call a pandemic party. But that's not sports, so I rest my case. Hey, this is the Galloway Podcast, where we have plenty of merchandise for sale. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to remind everybody that uh, recent additions to podcast merchandise includes tumblers, coffee mugs, and golf towels. Tumblers are $10. Coffee mugs and golf towels are $5 a piece. I'm sold out of shirts, hats, and koozies, so we'll hope to get more of those. But thank you so much for your support of the Galloway Podcast, and you can do that through listening, through sharing, and also merchandising with tumblers, coffee mugs, and golf towels. Look to place more orders for more merchandise things here in the future as we get into the fall. But looking back here on episode 44, as always, we start with what's new and what's happening in the world of sports. We talked to Martin Newton, a great conversation there about an athletic director's perspective and what to expect this fall and all things Sanford University with Martin. And as always, we end up with Around Alabama Athletics, a little look at Ty hoops news on steve sarkeesian and how alabama athletics ticketing is going mobile online this is the galloway podcast episode 44 i want to thank you so much for your listening please share with your friends please tweet me if you have any questions a reminder the galloway podcast is available on apple Podcasts, spotify and soundcloud this is the galloway podcast where there's the right way there's the wrong way and there's the galloway